Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Gesundheit with Jacobus. I am your host, Jacobus Holloway. Today with me as a guest is Dr. Mona Lisa Schulz. She, uh, we're talking about her brand new book called The Intuitive Advisor. And uh, we hope that you pick up your copy because this is a very practical guide. Very informative, talking about the different energy centers in our body, the chakras, and how, because based on the chakras, we have in each chakra four, four personality types. And she's explaining all the personality types and how we can practically make changes if we identify ourselves with a certain type based on struggles that we have, issues we have in our daily life. And many of these are overlapping. And we're going to, uh, so that, that sometimes makes it confusing, but that's why you have the book handy. You can go back and forth and find, help yourself, pinpoint, and start working with the advice that Dr. Mona Lisa is giving you. At the top of the hour, I've been doing these uh, health pearls, little pearls of wisdom about health. I uh, used to do those for years when I was working for another store. Then I opened up my own two years ago, and I picked it up again this last this May. And the one-minute pieces of information where I highlight some things, um, without mentioning really a company or a price or a product, uh, just talk about concepts. Now, you may have heard it. Uh, I was talking about depression. Depression is such a confusing topic that I'm sure that you and your work deal a lot with, that people are depressed and sometimes it is just being confused about the direction you need to go. I think they can be depressed because they have intuitive uh, struggles. Uh, they don't know which which way to go, what to follow. Uh, then there are the, 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 the depressions that, that, that people do go to medical doctors and get diagnosed as being depressed, even though it is just a temporary moment in their life, a struggle, a pain, a loss of a loved one, um, uh, something of that nature, and they're being put on antidepressants. Um, in your field, working, uh, being a medical doctor, having studied so much about the brain, and then being a medical intuitive, do you feel, too, that we are overprescribed when it comes to antidepressants? Well... First off, I, I guess I would have to em emphasize that I keep my medical intuitive part of my life very separate from my psychiatry place. Okay. Um, medical intuition is education. People call on the phone. They never get a diagnosis, prescribed treatment, or do psychotherapy. In fact, they sign consent forms that acknowledge that. Um, so I... I so I never, ever prescribe medicine during that. I give people information on what's available. Yes. In my neuropsychiatry practice, people actually are patients. They sign a consent form and acknowledge that. They're going to get a diagnosis. They're going to get prescription, prescriptions, treatment, and so on. Yeah. So if you're asking me, from my perspective, the first time that I ever set foot on a unit as a resident, I noticed that, and I studied this, that there is normal sadness in the brain. There is a network in our brain and brainstem and body that fires that has to do with sadness. And yeah. this is well outlined in many, many books. We have five basic emotions, fear, anger, sadness, love, and joy. And you can read any of these books and the these issues about basic emotions in the Handbook of Emotions, Effective Neuroscience by Panksepp, 
or even Antonio Damasio, The Feeling of What Happens, is a huge book about the body of emotion and the meaning of consciousness. So just plain sadness is a normal emotional state. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's a antidepressant deficiency. And if you look at any of the cognitive behavioral therapies, whether they are Linehan that we talked about, sadness is an important emotion, and it usually signals that things have turned out badly, we don't get what we want, and that things are happening and not the way we expected or we've lost a relationship. Right. If you lose a significant relationship, that's grief. So that's sustained sadness. But if you have sustained sadness for a, a very significant time and your neurochemistry gets disrupted to an organic state where you can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't think, that's obvious that the brain function and your body function is getting disrupted. Your natural killer cells and your immune system goes down. That's a vegetative depression, and that obviously is something that needs medication or some other kind of treatment. Yeah. But sadness and grief are normal processes that our bodies have that signal that something has changed, and that's not a medication deficiency. And when I was on in the hospital, I remember someone coming into the unit and says, I'm sad. And, I, and they said, I want a pill. Mm. And, I, and a pill, antidepressants are not happiness agents. I'm going to say that again. Yeah. An antidepressant is not a happiness agent, meaning an antidepressant just helps lift your moods, but it doesn't make you happy. And so if sadness may be a signal that you're not getting what you want in your life. You're not getting something that makes you happy. An antidepressant is not going to give that to you. And so people get very confused because they want someone to give them a pill that's going to be a pro-happiness agent, and it doesn't happen. So I agree with you. I, I listened to your commercials. I thought they were thrilled. I was thrilled. Thank you. I was absolutely thrilled because I remember the first week screaming, I don't have happiness pills. Tell mm. me where there's a happiness pill in this book. There's none. No. There's ones that will support your mood if it's crashed like a computer. When your computer crashes, you have to get support for it. Yeah. You have to call computer support. If your mood has crashed, then you have to get mood support. But if your mood has dipped, it's normal. It just means something bad happened. And that's not a meaning for a med. It doesn't make sense. That's right. Needless to say, even if your mood crashed and you were on an antidepressant, it's not going to help you get happy. It, like a splint when you get a broken leg, it just splints your mind into place mm. while you reshape your life into getting happiness in it. That's right. That's, that's and, exactly right. And so for the first person, the first individual who lost both of her parents and was looking to her husband and her girlfriends, her mood crashed after her, her mainframe, her mother and father, left her. They died. Yes. And so she's now trying to reconstitute her life, trying to get new forms of ways of getting happiness. Right, because, yes, that the one relationship that you lost, you cannot expect from somebody else right. close you, to you to, to replace that. Right, so you can't. So you have to reconstitute. Yes. When I worked in a blood lab, I used to work in blood clotting. Believe it or not, I used to be a clotter, which means I used to do clotting assays. Yeah. And so we would get all these little bottles where you, it was powder, 
and you would add two cc's of fluid to reconstitute it into factor eight, factor this, factor that, and it would never, you know, it's like reconstituted orange juice. It, so we, you have to reconstitute the relationships in your life to make up for the loss. And the reason why I like the word reconstitute is she'll never, the relationships she creates now will never make up for the loss of her mother and her father. It's like reconstituted orange juice never makes up for fresh squeeze. Right. That's true. But, but it, it somehow approaches. You can somehow go on and make do with it. Mm-hmm. You can make do with a reconstituted orange juice. And so she can move on with her life by making up with these other prosthetic relationships that can make do from the loss of her parents. And by then, her mood will have come back up. But some people can't do that without mood support, without a, without a medicine. And I don't ha- I'm not anti-medicine. Uh, some people are so anti-medicine, it aggravates me. Yeah. And they say that's not natural. And I'm like, yeah, if you broke your leg... If you're, no, it's even better. If your child broke your leg, and they took your child to the emergency room, and the doctor was about to put a cast on it, would you say, no, 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 that's not natural. We're just going to let the leg hang there, and it will grow, the bones will grow along their own course. No, you'd splint the leg with a cast so that the bones can grow appropriately. Well, the same thing with a mood. Yes. Sometimes a medicine's necessary to splint the brain into place, so that your mood, with appropriate changes in your life, can grow in the correct direction. That's right. I agree with you. And I so, think and that's why I mention also, in, and I do a new one every week, so this was just number 330 and 329 from last week and this upcoming week that I play. But I see, indeed, I, I uh, sometimes you have to be an antidepressant because that's what you're doing with. But it would be have great. have a broken mood. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> Not physical, but it would deal with emotional Yes, and and I I think though that the way that the healthcare system is set up today is that if you do decide to only go the Western medicine, there is there seems like there is not enough support and follow up and guidance during the period while you are taking the antidepressants. I think it is okay to be an antidepressant at least you can function, but on the other hand, there is nobody there from that same doctor's office who says. This is what I suggest you do physically. This is what I want you to do diet-wise. This is what I want you to do, uh, I mean, lifestyle-wise. And this is what you can do supplement-wise so that in five, six months from now, we can take you off it. And it is, seem- that, That's true. And, and, and the belief in our culture, people like to hang out on the pill, too. Yeah. They really do. I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. They, I agree with you. You're right. They just hang out in the antidepressant forever. But people like, in our culture, they like to take pills. Because they think, well, you know what? I can't, they don't trust their body can handle a normal emotion. So they're like, what will happen if I get off of this pill? I've had, I've had people say that to me all the time, is that they don't, they don't like to not take pills. They love to take pills. Yes. And, and... They think that they're not able to have a happy life unless they take pills. It's our, it's our form of addiction. Mm-hmm. So actually, they think that the only way they can be happy is by taking pills. And I, I, I mean, so it's, it's, it's not just our culture, but it's our medicalization of our culture. Well, that's true. And I, I think what I, uh, I see that also in your book, The Intuitive Advisor, 
that there are you are pinpointing the energy centers in the body and how they can come out, how they can show you through physical ailments or emotional ailments that there is something wrong or, with the body. And I, I've talked to people regularly that I say, listen, there are five ways that our body can communicate with you outwardly. That is through the skin. So you sweat through the skin, but you can get boils and eczema, psoriasis, all that stuff. The sinuses, we have the respiratory system, the colon and the kidneys. And I said, now, personally, I say, do I, I don't have any of these problems. I have my skin is healthy. I never have a cold. I never have really any respiratory problems. I don't have any digestive problems. And I said, does it make me healthy? And they look at me and say, well, yeah. And I said, well, eight people on my father's side died of a heart attack. I said, the youngest, the youngest was 29. My father was, was, it was my dad's oldest brother. My father was 52. His oldest brother, his second oldest brother died at the age of 64. Then they called the next brother, said, your brother just died. He died within 24 hours of a heart attack. They had two funerals in two days. And so I had eight people die of heart attacks on my father's side. Doesn't mean I will die of a heart attack. No, there are plenty signs that I get, obviously, to work on myself. It is just that, do I now go to a doctor and say, well, I want to make sure I prevent it. So why don't you put me on blood thinners? Why do you put me on stuff so that my heart will be protected? There are plenty other things that I can do emotionally and spiritually and physically and lifestyle-wise to make sure that I do the best I can with what I know. Now, if I still die of a heart attack, then I guess it was supposed to be. But there are plenty signs for me. There are plenty opportunities for me to make my life as healthy and as balanced as possible. And and I often see that people get signs on a daily basis. You talk about it in your book because you mention all these different uh, clients that you have had and how you, you explain how this works in real life. We all have a real life. We all have symptoms. We all deal with issues. Too many of us, because of all the commitments that we have, try to put band-aids on it and not deal with it. And I think that is where we become a sick society. And it looks to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it looks to me that with all the political debates that are going on right now about healthcare reform, is that we are not talking about how can we become proactive. Right. And, and people have the idea, well, first of all, you're talking to someone who's had a lot of health problems. I know. I had a lot of health problems. Yes, you have. Ask me. Well, from the age of twelve, I had scoliosis. I had curvature in my spine. So, 120 degrees. I was in the hospital for a year with, um, you know, with um, a spinal fusion from T4 to L3. Wow. Then I had um, epilepsy and narcolepsy while I was asleep, essentially 17 hours a day. It took me six years to graduate from Brown. Wow. I had, uh, two weeks after I, grad I graduated from Brown, I went running. So I used to use running to stay awake. Kept me awake. I fell asleep while running, and I got run over by a truck. Unreal. <laughs> um, so four fractures in my pelvis, several broken ribs, a collapsed lung, a shattered scapula. But three weeks, uh, three months later, I ran a 10K, and I won it. So, I mean, I got better, wow. but there was a lot of fractures there. Uh. My point is that then around that time, the anticonvulsant I was using wiped out my bone marrow. 
My platelets were getting... No, there's a reason why I'm telling you all this. My platelets went down. My white cells got big. And it was a very painful time. So I had to get off of the anticonvulsant and learn how to, myself, learn how to figure out how to stop my seizures because no anticonvulsant at that time back in the 80s could help me. Yeah. And so I used acupuncture, Chinese herbs, Louise Hay's affirmation, and I learned how to stay awake without all that stuff. Hmm. And I remember the time that I did this, when I learned how to do this. It was when I was working in a job, in a lab, and I had um, was doing, it was actually in the, the blood lab, and I was doing an assay, and I actually had a seizure. I fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, it was both. And I fell off the chair, and they found me on the floor. And um, the lab said, we need your doctor to clear you to say that it's safe to work in this lab. Well, how are they going to say it's safe? They don't know how to treat me. Right. So I remember calling this famous, world-famous sleep disorder man named Quentin Registine. He's at Harvard. Mm-hmm. And saying, they need you to write me this letter saying that you can adequately treat me so that it's safe for me to work in this lab. And he screams at me in the phone because he's upset. <laughs> he says, you don't understand. There's nothing we can do to help you. Oh. And to hear that was both upsetting and freeing because it was upsetting because, of course, to hear a doctor say, well, there's nothing we can do to help you. Right. And he had already told me that years ago that, Basically, you have intractable seizures. There's nothing we can do to help you. But the other part was it was freeing because it meant that I didn't have to go down that road again with frustration. I see. And keep going over and over and over to them, expecting them to help me, was frustrating. And it meant that I could go down a different tack, that there was a whole world of other things that I could do to try to help myself. You were at a Y in your life, and one one part of the road said, don't come this way. Right, and as a result, it was a relief to know, okay, that road doesn't work, I can close it. Yes. And so I never went back. For for about three years, I just didn't do any of that medicine, and I actually went out to the West Coast, and I did a macrobiotic diet, and that's how I learned all about box flower remedies and homeopathy and all kinds of stuff, and I actually got better. Yeah. And um, I ended up then going to medical school, getting my MD and PhD, and my point is, is that I learned how to control my seizures at that point, because there was no medicine to help me without medicine. Yes. And why I bring this up is, is that there's a real important point to be made, that I came to a point to understand that my health problem was my problem. My problem. That it wasn't the federal government's problem. That it wasn't my physician's problem. It wasn't the federal government's responsibility, and it wasn't my doctor's responsibility. It was, in the end... Between me and God, mm. it was in, in the end, you are alone with it. And when you get to that point, only then can you figure out what the hell am I going to do? Yeah. And you get better. That's right. And, and my point is, is that, yes, it's great that our government is looking for a place to help us. And yes, it's great that we create more sensitive doctors to help us. But in the end, as individuals, we have to understand that we, in the end, it's our health. Nobody's going to give us, in the end, the solution. That's right. You, you have to. You are alone with it. This is the only body you're going to get. You're a consumer. You're going to have to make it work. Yes. And that's how I come to the conclusion that no doctor, when people say, my doctor can't help me, I'm saying, what are you going to do about it? 
That's a great point. We need to stop right here because we were, the news is going to take over, but I really appreciate this point. This, this, this sheds a lot of light. Folks, stay tuned. We have another hour going with Dr. Mona Lisa Schulz. We'll be right back. Thank you.